Hello, High Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. Pastor Taylor from High Rock Metro West is with us today, and we're going to be covering Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, which uh, just so happens to be the, the verses, the passage that uh, Taylor was to preach on this weekend, but Metro West services were canceled. So he did, did get to speak to some people over Zoom uh, with our Cambridge congregation, but we're going to be able to tap into some of his uh, background and research in this passage. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, starting in verse 14, where we read this. And Taylor, if you'd uh, be willing to read for us, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Let's read the word of the Lord together. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. And at the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. <laughs> Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Certainly there were many needy, many needy win, widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was set, instead sent to a foreigner, a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but he only healed, the only one that was healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I guess one thing I just want to say before we, uh, before I turn this over to, to you, uh, Taylor, is um, I think of this moment as like, you know, imagine, I guess we don't have like a real uh, parallel to this. Like we th maybe think of homecomings or maybe a quinceanera and this coming out or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm coming up on my 40th uh uh, 40th uh, high school reunion this year. And uh, a lot of my friends are saying they're going to go. They said they were going to go to the 25th, but they ditched on me. So I, I'm mm. holding, not holding my breath on this one. But this is supposed to be this year. And there's this perpetual fantasy of, of people who go to their high school reunions that they will somehow have done better than other people or made good with their lives. They'll be able to return and show everybody that they were, they were Better, they were either worthy of their praise or better than people thought that they were. And Jesus kind of has this moment, but a very in a very sour way. He's been traveling through Galilee, the beginning of his ministry. News is reaching his hometown. He comes home, and you imagine he might receive this great reception, but instead they they, they look at him and go, wait a minute, isn't this 
Joseph's son, isn't this like the handyman's son? Like, who, who does this person think he is? And even beyond that, Jesus says, you know what, you're you're kind of, I, I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, but, you know, you, you kind of want to show, you think you deserve something, that that I that I owe you something, like uh, some entertainment or something, perhaps. And instead, uh, he says, instead, I'm going to go to people who are really going to appreciate what God is about to give to them. I'm going to go to the outsiders, just like, and just like the prophets before me, just like Elijah went to the, the foreigner's widow, just like Elisha healed out of all the people he could have healed. He healed just the one, uh, Naaman, the Syrian. And so in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to end up going because of the hardness of your hearts. I'm going to end up going to the very people you hate the most. You think you deserve something, but I'm going to go to the people who realize they don't they don't deserve anything and so they're willing to accept things with gratitude. Again, reading between the lines a little bit, mm -hmm. but I think it's it's fair given the the future context that I'm reading into this moment. In any case, Taylor, I, I know you did a lot of research into this passage and you had certain things you want to say and I want to give you the time to say that. Uh, what do you sure. see in today's passage and and specifically, you know, what were some of the things you had wished that you could have brought to the Metro West <laughs> congregation and and beyond? Yeah. Well, um you know, a, a couple of themes I think are really prevalent in this, and I, I think maybe the, the kind of the most pervasive one is uh, the difference between expectations and reality here. Uh, the folks in Nazareth clearly had high expectations for him, like coming to his hometown saying like, hey, you know, we're your hometown crowd. Like if you did those great things in Capernaum, how much better for us? And so, you know, they're not really interested in what Jesus has to say so much as they're interested in what Jesus can do for them. They're not really interested in following Jesus. They they kind of want like the vending machine Jesus, and they want they want that status, right? They want to be they want to be better than Capernaum. And I would say, you know, there's a for a long time when I read this text, I I used to think, oh, they're they're so you know outraged at Jesus because they think he's claiming to be the Messiah, and that's um, you know that's scandalous to them. And when as I was preparing with this text, I realized that's actually not the thing that bothers them. They're actually pretty happy that he's the Messiah. They want him to have that power. They want him to be that Messiah, but they want him to be a very particular type of Messiah. And as soon as they find out that he's not that type, his authority is now a threat to them rather than a blessing, as they view it, at least. I mean, it truly would have been a blessing if they would have followed, but they weren't interested in changing their expectations. And there's a there's, it, you have to, it's really kind of between the lines here. There's a, there's a piece of the text in Isaiah that he doesn't read. In fact, he, he stops mid verse. He reads it up Isaiah 58 and 61, where he said, and he kind of combines them where he says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the text goes on in Isaiah to say, and the year of vengeance of the Lord. He doesn't say that part. And I, in, in my sermon, I, I likened it to saying in a galaxy far, far you know, or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far, and then just stopping. And it's like, wait, hang on a second. Like, we all know how it goes. It's a very well-known, uh, you know, sci-fi, far, far away. That's how, if you if you aren't a Star Wars fan, that's how it goes. But they would have known, right? And so they're thinking, okay, you know, we're going to get miracles. Okay, maybe not healing, but at least he's going to, you know, pour out some vengeance on the Romans, on the occupying military force. And then when he stops there and says, you know, instead, that's not going to happen. And he's He's, he's quoting Isaiah, and Isaiah is quoting Leviticus, and it's talking about the year of Jubilee, which is this year of, of forgiveness and of societal reset and of forgiveness of debts and atonement, and it's this way to prevent generational divisions and sin and uh, indebtedness from taking root, and it, I mean, it's like a radical upturning of society, and it's costly, and to my knowledge, John, you can correct me if you know differently, but 
to my knowledge, I don't know that there's any record that Israel ever actually practiced Jubilee. It, no, that, that's, of, that's exactly the fact. That's exactly the thing. It's it, there's no evidence it's ever was ever practiced. Yeah, it, it reminds me. I think it's a G.K. Chesterton quote, which is that um, the gospel has has. Uh, I'm going to butcher it, but uh, it's the gospel has not been uh, tried and found difficult and then abandoned, but thought difficult and never tried, or something to that mm -hmm. that uh, yeah. that effect. And I think that's like jubilee. If you, I mean, if we read through the requirements of jubilee, like I, I get why people didn't want to do it. It's super costly. Because forgiveness always sounds great, especially if it's forgiveness of debts, if we're on the receiving end. But if we have to just simply let go of money that we're owed or let go of a grudge or a pain or a wound, so be it a spiritual or economic debt, that's a lot harder. And I get why people don't want to do that. And yet Jesus is hearkening back to this and saying, this, this is the thing that I'm calling you to. And for people who wanted vengeance who wanted victory over their oppressors, but in a way that would simply reverse the positions and just create new victims. They, they didn't want like things to be good with between them and the Romans. They wanted to become the Romans essentially and be able to crush their enemies. And Jesus's kingdom is not like that. He's, he's calling them to a much, much higher uh, and, and more holistic and loving way of living, which is a way of living and loving enemies that doesn't create new victims while still doesn't allow for oppression. He's not condoning the oppression of the of the Romans. It's not a bad thing for them to want to be free, but he's calling them to a, a, a better way of being free, which is through forgiveness. And, and that's just a really costly uh, discipleship. That's a costly uh, gospel. And so they just opt to throw him off a cliff. And it's not because he was claiming to be the Messiah. It's because he wasn't the type of Messiah they wanted. And so, um, you know, I think expectations were really high for him. And it's a super, super tempting and easy thing uh, for us to fall into the same trap when our expectations of Jesus are, you know, self-centered or specific and very defined. And we put a lot of emotional energy into that. And then, you know, Jesus shows up or doesn't show up in some particular way. And then we're faced with the crossroads, which is, do we change our expectations? Do we acknowledge that we've missed the mark? Or do we say, you know, I'm going to go find a version of Jesus or a church or another community or another theology that doesn't make me change. So I, you know, I made the joke in my sermon that I've, um, I have never, honestly, God's honest truth. I've never, I've never thrown Jesus off a cliff. I can, I can say that <laughs> with truth, but I've also, you know, never really been given the opportunity in fairness, but I have in many, many times come to places in my life where I said, you know, this whole, like, this whole Jesus thing is tough. I think about like there are times when it's been hard to tithe when like, oh, what can I do with that extra 10% of my income for me? Oh, I could buy all sorts of fun things. You know, I could, I could, I could, I could have all the toys, you know, <laughs> I could do whatever I wanted, you know, and I, or I think about all sorts of career decisions where I thought, oh, you know, if it was just up to me and just pursuing what worked for me and what I wanted to do, I probably do something different with my life. Anyways, I say this because I think it's it's uh, it's easy to look at the story of chucking Jesus off a cliff and wondering like, what? or trying to at least, like, what in the world's going on here? And and then it doesn't really sink in for us because it feels so far removed. But I think the same dynamic is present for all of us spiritually whenever we feel that the cost of discipleship is too high and we face the temptation to simply pick a new Jesus that we can create in our own image. So. 
So. Well, and, and leave it, you know, to your point, leave it to Jesus to make a bad situation even worse. Like they're already not happy with what he has to say, you know, leaving, you know, I'm, not, I'm not here for vengeance on your enemies. But then he says, beyond that, I'm actually going to be blessing the people that you hate. And, yeah, and this really isn't something new, right? Yeah, this isn't something new. I'm not doing something that's never been done before. Elijah, yeah. one of the, the most significant prophets in Israel's history, mm-hmm. did the same thing. Elisha did the same thing. Um, you know, not not a single Israelite other since the time of Miriam, that during the time of Moses had been healed of leprosy. And so this was like such a sign that was expected of the Messiah. And 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 but 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 a, a Syrian, an, an enemy, a literal like wartime enemy of theirs mm-hmm. was healed mm-hmm. because he came and asked for for mercy. And that's maybe the biggest difference, I think, is that. These people who are going to be blessed are people who asked for mercy, as opposed to the people in Jesus's hometown who feel close to Jesus, who feel that Jesus owes them something. And he's making very clear, I think, that he doesn't owe them anything. In fact, we all owe God everything. Uh, Taylor, I'm wondering if you have any uh, final thoughts and if you'd be willing to close us in prayer. Yeah, um, I would just say that uh, there's a phrase that I found is very true. It's not my own. I don't know where it comes from, but it's that expectations are premeditated disappointments. That's true about a lot of things in life. And the potency of that is significant when we apply that to the spiritual reality of our life. And so be mindful of what expectations you're placing on God, but let's do our best to remain in humility because that is the type of person that Jesus is drawn to. And that's how he wants us to operate. I think you hit the nail on the head. We're, we're not deserving. We owe God everything. So, well, with that said, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who speaks truth to us and who loves us. We ask that where our expectations are off the mark, that you would give us the courage to humble ourselves and to adjust our expectations, to be glad and to be grateful for all the good things that you do. And we ask that you would give us courage to live in solidarity with our neighbors, to be practitioners of jubilee and of forgiveness. All this we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us uh, today, Taylor. And everyone, thank you for being with us today. As Taylor was praying, I I, I do hope that uh, God will bless you with this attitude of of humility that can lead the way to gratitude rather than holding mm-hmm. on to expectations, which, which perhaps lead to a feeling of entitlement. And we all know where that mm-hmm. leads. So go mm-hmm. in peace.